Welcome to our podcast series, Raising Saints and Forming Scholars, where we delve into your questions about the world of classical education. We were made for truth, beauty, and goodness. Let's talk about it. This episode is sponsored by 2M Express Incorporated, a New Mexico-based trucking company hauling anything from construction materials to food products. For more information, call 505-480-3339. That's 505-480-3339. Would you like to sponsor a future episode of Raising Saints and Forming Scholars? Then consider becoming a gala sponsor for Holy Child Catholic School by clicking on the link in our show notes or going to our website for more information. Hello, this is Principal Martinez, and you're about to listen to a podcast about fairy tales. When you listen to our podcast, you'll notice we bring up Sleeping Beauty, but actually, this podcast is about Beauty and the Beast. You'll also notice that there are two introductions to the topic of Beauty and the Beast. Now, why did we have such technical difficulties, you might wonder? Well, this is a good opportunity for me to point out that my assistant and I, Mrs. Angerer, are making podcasts in the middle of running a school, and we're always on a tight deadline. We really want to get out this podcast before Fairy Tale Friday, and honestly, before Mrs. Angerer gives birth, which is a great reminder to all of us that it can be very tricky to make podcasts while also running a school, as there are only so many hours in the day. Would you like to help us with our podcasts? If you're interested, please go to the show notes and email Mrs. Angerer or I and see if there's any way God is calling you to assist us in this worthy goal of spreading the good news about a Catholic classical curriculum. Thank you for your consideration. Listen to our podcast to learn about how fairy stories are a mirror to this world and helps us avoid raising what some scholars are calling the autonomous child. Are our American adaptations of fairy tales the best way to cultivate virtue in children, or is there a value to returning to the original stories? And how does the story of the gospel break into our own world and through fairy stories to the lives of children. Join us as we discuss these and other topics connected to cultivating virtues and building the moral imagination of children in a Catholic classical school. Welcome to Raising Saints and Forming Scholars. Today, we're going to be talking about forming a child's moral imagination, and in particular, fairy tales. But I'm just so thrilled to have two wonderful guests with me, Mr. and Mrs. Tally, who are teaching with us this year at Holy Child Catholic School. And I want to mention that Mr. Tally received his formation at the Pontifical College... Josephina. Josephina. And Mrs. Tally has wonderful formation from Benedictine University and the Augustine Institute. And I've noticed in my conversations with them, they're bringing that wealth of um, education and training to their teaching to the classroom. So I thought they would have some wonderful things to share with us about forming a child's imagination. And I actually want to start with 
me in my old age trying to get good formation I'm in the master's program at the University of Dallas and a professor there Dr. Eidt E-I-D-T just kind of wanted to share what she has to say about fairy tales because she actually wrote a book about German fairy tales she's, she's German and she mentions how children in schools today not in our school but in other schools read from reader books that are just plain silly that do not have significant topics and that avoid, quote, the unsettling elements of life. We know real fairy tales can be very unsettling. <laughs> they're not Hollywood, they're not cute, but she says we should not be avoiding that. And I thought this was something really interesting. She said if you go to the original fairy tales, they have events and stories that have um, patterns of repetition. Many things happen in three Many things happen in seven. Of course, we're going to think of the Trinity or the seven vices, the seven virtues, the seven deadly sins. So she says all this repetition is lost in American versions. When American writers retell those fairy tales, they leave out the structure of the story and how much that would uh, bring to bear on the conversation with children. So I just kind of am opening up our conversation with that. Absolutely. So there's something, and we'll speak about one fairy tale in particular. That Dylan noted to me last night, there's a portion when, um, who's the writer who rewrote Sleeping Beauty? The first version is by an author named Villeneuve, um, and it is the original written version of Beauty and the Beast. The second one is by an author named Beaumont, uh, who took Villeneuve's original version, pared it down, and left out some essential details. Well, this pared down version, they leave something out um, because it may have been uncomfortable and it it takes away something crucial about one of the characters. Does it? That I guess we'll Can you share with us what it is? Are we going great now? Yeah, so are, you, are you talking about... Um... In the first version of Beauty and the Beast by Villeneuve, the prince is transformed into a beast by an enchantress, uh, evil fairy, uh, who is put in charge of him because uh, of the death of his parents. Um, when he's an adult, she makes advances on him and he refuses her, um, because of which the evil fairy transforms him into a beast. In Beaumont's version, the prince is turned into a beast because he refuses lodging to an enchantress uh, passing through. In the first version, it is very clear that the prince is virtuous. He refuses the enchantress's advances because he is chaste. He is changed into a beast not despite his virtue, but because of his virtue. In the second version, it appears that the prince is turned into a beast because of his vice, because he refuses to give shelter to That's the enchantress. That's a great point. It takes virtue to see virtue. We don't always see that reproduced in these, in these retellings. Yeah. In discussing virtue and names that might be difficult to yeah. say, <laughs> we were really excited about this book by Vegan Goroyan, Tending the Heart of Virtue. And he taught at Loyola College and University of Virginia. He has so much to say about what we're doing wrong with young people nowadays, how we can train students better. And so I thought it might be interesting to bring up some of his points. He, he mentions 
Schools in America today have a softness, a relativism that uh, brings a certain, he calls it the autonomous child. We're training children to not have a connection with our Western civilization, with our with, with what a virtue is or isn't, mm -hmm. that they're just sort of floating out there. There's no truth, there, there, there's relativism, and there's softness. Because schools are so concerned with, you know, are we safe? Is it relevant? So he says, we're asking those questions at our peril because we're not showing students the importance of being virtuous. And of course, we learn virtue through the intellect through school instruction, but a lot of that is going to come through stories that will impact children. So tell us something you want to share. Maybe you can show us this book. Uh, sure. <laughs> so we're looking at um, It's interesting. This author also mentions the tending of the heart of virtue um, in his section that I wanted to mention. About yes. What is the moral imagination? And what are we trying to do with fairy tales, particularly in the classroom? Um, and I think there's going to be two levels we're going to speak about. So definitely um, tending the heart of virtue in the child and developing that through stories, but also um, I want to speak about how stories, fairy tales themselves, speak to the human heart because of the greatest story. So we'll Oh, I, I love how you say that. that. Yeah, I <laughs> we'll love how there. you but say that. This book is um, Awakening Wonder. It's a classical guide to truth, goodness, and beauty. And then you know the um, the author you've mentioned, uh, Stephen Turley. Mm -hmm. Okay. So he, um, this book in particular, it goes into the broad, like uh, the history of why uh, classical thought holds in highest form truth, goodness, and beauty. Um, and I wanted to go to the section. He has a section on um, the moral imagination. Uh, and I'm going to read just so this little piece here that I think will give us kind of like a guidebook for like what is the moral imagination um, and how, how do we enrich it in the child and for what purpose, I guess. So he says here, the imagination has been given to humans by God to perceive the divinely infused meaning of the cosmos, which provides a moral map of the world by which we might live. Um, and so when, when we think of the imagination of the child and developing it through story, I think that's one level is how might I be a human? How might I, like, what is the way to be truly free um, through story? And, and what he, his suggestion um, is he uses particular, and he didn't use this, this term, um, but he, he talks about typology in scripture. So that, um, for instance, an Old Testament figure foreshadowing and, and showing us who Christ is to be, and um, I guess Mary. Uh, Mary is the new Eve. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We we study typology here with our scripture students. Excellent. So. so that's the thing. So he says here, the Christian meta narrative, from creation to consummation, from the primeval. Is he? Yeah, primeval. Primeval Adam to the new Adam, provide an alternative cosmic narrative 
to those of the classical world by which the totality of life could be understood. So I think when we're talking about um, this moral imagination, we can speak of, of how <coughs> the scriptures can show us what it means to be man. Um, and then from there, there's like this springboard for um, how we are to live. You know, you're making me think last year when I taught literature, that was in my, my syllabus, what you're saying, that we take time out of school to look at words because of the word, the logos, mm. right? It all originates with God, the word. And like you said, we have the meta narrative of salvation history. So when you come to school and you read stories, the child should be given an opportunity to glimpse that, right? It should be um, like a mirror reflecting back and forth. Unfortunately, nowadays in, in, your, in your local public library, most of the books there will do just the opposite. And so at our school, we take time with intention. What stories are the children going to read? You know, so I love yeah. that quote. And going back to, so I brought here. I'm so glad. This book is, um, it's a little worn. I was going to um, say it looks worn, part. which is good. So this is, <laughs> this is interesting. And maybe this is where we can segue into Tolkien's um, vision for what makes a fairy tale. Um, but this book was given to me by my nana. I was a struggling reader and she taught me to read she bought me this book of fairy tales and I wanted to ask myself, what is it about fairy tales that move the human heart? Like, and not just children. I, I mean, my children bring me books to read and there are some books I'm like, oh, this one again, <laughs> you know, and sure. Uh, but I never mind when they bring me, for instance, um, Rapunzel. I, and I and I'm like, why? Why don't I? Why can I read this for the ninetieth time this year alone? <laughs> you know example. what? Yes. What is it in fairy tales that speaks even to me? Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Um, and I think what my wife is moving towards is uh, uh, Tolkien's meditation on children as they relate to. Uh, fairy stories and what he says is that um, fairy stories are not particularly for children um, and in fact he would hold that great literature uh, is as well for children as it is for adults um, so um, children are not children are not this other species for which we have to write special literature <laughs> please no <laughs> yes they they, uh, they enjoy fairy stories because they are because they are good literature and um he has some ideas about what makes fairy stories good mm -hmm. um which we can also talk about please. um <laughs> so um in tolkien's schema there's um the writer of a fairy story is a sub-creator. Someone who takes from the primary world and creates a secondary world. And this secondary world is a believable alternate universe um, to which we can bring true belief, uh, literary belief. Um, and 
in that world, truths about the primary world are made manifest to the reader. So truths about the human person, about virtue, about goodness, about evil, about, um, about the abuse of power, mm -hmm. onward and so forth. Um, all of this happens in fairy stories. So good fairy stories are a, a kind of a, a mirror to this world that allows us to see this world clearly. Yeah, I think, I, I love how you mentioned sub-creator. It's so funny, I have that Tolkien book in my office. Mm -hmm. I used to read that essay with my high schoolers. Mm -hmm. And when we say sub-creator, mm -hmm. we're reminding ourselves we're not the boss, right? Mm -hmm. we're, we're God has the, he's the creator. We're trying to develop humility to work with him, which goes back to my point, uh, or to Dr. Ike's point that we're raising the autonomous child in a lot of our schools. We don't want to do that. If we could let kids know our creativity is something we do hand in hand with God, mm -hmm. I think they would have that peace and that humility to let the Lord show them who they are. Because I think in our culture, the message to young people is you got to figure out your identity and it's about power and you've got to develop it and show it and fight for it yeah. rather than let's receive it. What does mm. the Lord have in store for us? That, that Marian receptivity mm. I think would help so much with the bad things that the society is, is telling our young people. And maybe this is where we can be a little bit more mindful as adults because I think unfortunately some adaptations of fairy tales seek to bring about that. Oh, yes. Um, and whereas when we look at others, we get a different glimpse. I'll give a, a tiny example. For instance, um, The Little Mermaid, um, the, the most recent film adaptation that all the children know. <laughs> Change the original, um, yes. right? So, so the idea is that um, what, what does the current culture hold in value is independence and and passion and doing what what feels good right so at the moment yeah, at the moment whereas in the original version i don't know maybe this is why they changed it the, the little mermaid <laughs> yes she becomes sea foam I because know. she didn't obey her father and obedience there's a reason why obedience was held in such high esteem when it was created and in my classroom for instance I didn't think too much about yesterday we listed all the fairy tales we've read so far and right away both classes mentioned Hansel and Gretel and I was thinking this morning like why was that so um, shocking to them that they'd remember Hansel and Gretel and and you see how the the children they were learning fortitude which is, um, <laughs> is being strong in the face of trials where they were strong and then at the end they're reunited to their loving father who loves them dearly, right? So um, I, there is a way, although Tolkien, which you'll talk a little more about, he's making me a little softer about even the fairy tales that aren't perfect. Yes. Um, because of, um, Dylan, maybe you could share a little bit because you articulate it so well and I could read from the epilogue. Because of what story does for the human. Um, do you want me to explain? Like you were saying yeah, that. Yeah, what are you I, referring sure, to exactly? the, And I don't want to say it um, incorrectly, but that 
uh, all the things that make a fairy tale a fairy tale and, and, and make a good fairy tale all exist in the gospel and yet the gospel breaks through history and is true. I think you said that really well. Well, you, (laughs) but he was the one that could write it up. Yeah. So, I I mean, I guess in Tolkien's terms, I I don't know if we have to read this whole thing, but but in Tolkien's terms, it's a, the, the, the gospel contains a, he says, contains a fairy tale. Um, In other words, there's a secondary world created within the gospel that because it is historically true breaks into the primary world yes um and imagine if we could get kids to really believe that and not lose their faith okay so just for my i've taught little kids follow them on to high school and the cynicism from the world breaks in and they lose their faith which i think is why these stories are so essential yes when i mean i i get maybe they were never primarily intended, but there's this, this deep, um, uh, how do you say, desire for yes. fairy tales, even in children. Yes. And if we if we can take those moments, and it's interesting as adults, sometimes we read Grimm and we're like, yikes, like this part. But uh, my friend um, yes. Pauline Mert, who she um, she is the foundress of uh, a Montessori school in Denver. She says children in this, um, the six to 12 age range, um, they're in this plane of development where that those shocking, horrible things that we're a little nervous about sharing with children aren't so um, traumatizing or damaging. And in fact, a fairy tale is the perfect place for them to encounter those hard truths because it's a safe sort of like intrigue into like, the painful and the suffering, yes, and then what happens at the end. Well, and this yeah. is precisely where it should happen because mm, it's sorry. It, yes, and we have a. I know our school. All our teachers love our students and are good people. So that's the kind of environment you want your young people to encounter. This we don't want them to encounter it when they're nineteen with the police officer. We want them to encounter it here, where people love them. And are bringing the truths of cultures from thousands of years that have reflected on this. Now, so maybe you... before we talk about this, could we speak of the development of virtue in this context? So mm-hmm. I was going to bring you brought up the the Grim, the, the Grim brothers. Yes. <laughs> so in his book here, um, Mr. Garoyan talks about how his life was changed by his encounter with the hard truths from the Grimm stories. He says his children became better readers and better writers because of that encounter. And then he goes on to talk about how children are vitally concerned with distinguishing good from evil and truth from falsehood and how the fairy tales can be a great place to do this. Now, obviously a lot of these come from 19th century Germany, but there's a longer history behind that. And of course, there's some pagan elements, of course. Mm -hmm. There's some Christian elements. And it's not perfect, like you were saying. None of this is perfect. Mm -hmm. But um, there is something about returning to the, I guess, to our roots in that area. And I I thought it might be interesting. He brings up here the case of Beauty and the Beast. Mm -hmm. So I thought this might be our sample case. Um, He says, the real Beauty and the Beast 
not the Hollywood one. Um, in that story, he says, the virtues glimmer as if in a looking glass. So did you want to share what happens in Beauty and the Beast? Yeah, so I, I haven't... I haven't read... I haven't read the the original. Mm -hmm. um, I've read synopses of the four different versions. Okay. And um, what stands out to me in, in reading those synopses is that um, somehow in 1950s, was it the 1950s when Beauty and the Beast came out with Disney? Um, somehow there's just this complete misunderstanding of what Beauty and the Beast was about. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, it became a story about the transformation of a basically bad person into a good person mm -hmm. through the influence of a beautiful woman who, you know, had maybe no more sense than any other beautiful woman. You know what? You summed that up really well. Yeah, so, you're right. So, so, when, so when we're dealing with the... The actual story. Uh, a true... I wouldn't even call the Disney version a true fairy tale because it doesn't, it doesn't accomplish what a fairy tale should. Um, if we want to find the true Beauty and the Beast, we need to look for that version that, um, that recognizes... Um, the truth, beauty, and goodness within the characters themselves and how that is borne out through their interactions. So in the original tale, um, the beast, he is beastly mm -hmm. physically on the outside, mm -hmm. but what's he like on the inside? So um, he appears to be a virtuous person. He, his... Um, his capture of his capture of Bell, uh, who is beautiful on the outside, beautiful on the outside, and also truly virtuous on the inside, unlike her sisters. Right. Um, he he captures her um, much in the same way that the, that Bell is captured in the Disney version, mm -hmm. but she's not a prisoner. When he captures her, he sets her up as mistress of the house, and he says, I am your servant. Hmm. Which fundamentally changes their relationship. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the Disney version, she's uh, kidnapped and yes. has no freedom to really make any choice about who she would be And I think with. it shows how our yeah. culture struggles with nuance. At different dynamics between men and women. It's either, uh, you know, oppressor and victim, and that's it. Yeah, we have sure. no room for anything yeah. else. It's interesting. So maybe you have read the original version. I'm not sure which version. Um, I, I haven't. I was just looking at what oh, he okay. says about it. Well, it's interesting because what he says is, um, at the beginning of the story, we learn that a very rich merchant had three daughters. Oh, yes, you're right all of whom were extremely handsome, especially the youngest, so she was called the Little Beauty. But nothing more is said about the beauty's physical attributes. Instead, our attention is drawn to her virtuous character. Beauty's moral goodness, her inner beauty, is contrasted with her sister's pride, vanity, and selfishness, their inner ugliness. 
And that's just something the new version doesn't draw our attention to. They don't spend a lot of time on no. that, which is important, fact, I think. I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen, seen the movie, but uh, aren't her sisters kind of ugly? Maybe they had to make them to make so. for them to make their particular point right. Um, yeah, and something interesting. Well, maybe we can speak more about the the story of Beauty and the Beast. Um, well, I what I mainly wanted to draw out. I think he said very well is we had a new version that got rid of the fact that um, her virtue on the inside mm -hmm. is what mattered. She's not a, a prisoner. And I like, he says, this story depicts with a peculiar force the mystery of virtue itself. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so important because it is a mystery. It's not, there's so mm -hmm. much nuance. There's so many different ways to approach it. I mm -hmm. think the original story has all those different points that could appeal to a child's imagination. Instead, we just want to get rid of that, throw it into a, a Hollywood blockbuster um and and of course in our culture capitalize on it and make mm -hmm. you know make some money we have some sure. products you know yeah. that's what we do and then yeah. we're just kind of left with a skeletal version of what's really happening and i think denying the richness to our students i mean i i guess the movie version talks about this but something i loved about how you chose beauty and the beast is because beauty in this version um she exemplifies, I think, what we hope of our students here at the school, yes. in particular, her love for books. And so I thought that was so interesting that you ended up choosing this one. I, for, I actually forgot about that, but that's a great... We'll, we'll just say that was providential. Yeah, they, they, they made fun of her. They laughed at their youngest sister because she spent the greatest part of her time in reading good books. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't and, remember that. And I, I love that. I thought it was that school. is something we we can relate to over here at Holy Child. Yes, that um, that even in this story, they speak of the the truth that can be gathered that we are made to to experience in reading books. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Well, I'm so yeah. glad you brought up that point in an age where. I meet so many people and when I tell them our school believes in good books, they say, you're crazy. We just need Chromebooks. That's it. And I say, no, we believe in real books mm -hmm. and we spend a lot of our time with books at Holy Child. So speaking of books, is there something you'd like the to close with? The last thing, yes. So we spoke a little bit about developing the child's moral imagination yes. and, and I think I think it's important, I mean, I'm doing it in my classroom, I know Dylan is too, where what are the virtues? And we use that as kind of a, a litmus for yes. characters and their attributes in the stories. But even if the story isn't perfect in highlighting virtue, I think it can still bring us back to like a, a good story, can bring us to um, what we're made for as humans. So I, I think I'll end with um, the moment we talked about, so developing the moral imagination, but also fairy tales as a way to prepare the child for the Christian story. Um, and so this well is said. a little, yeah, that's what we want to do. A little paragraph, and if it needs explanation, if you could, but um, so this is Tolkien on his essay on fairy stories. It's not very long. No. So um, if you're listening to this podcast and you're intrigued by this, we really encourage you to, 
read it, but this is in his epilogue, and he says, um, he well, he's speaking of joy. I would venture to say that approaching the Christian story from this direction, it has long been my feeling, a joyous feeling, that God redeemed the corrupt-making creatures men in a way fitting to this aspect as to others of their strange nature. The Gospels contain a fairy story, or a story of larger kind, which embraces all the essence of fairy stories. They contain many marvels, peculiarly artistic, beautiful and moving, mythical in their perfect self-contained significance. And among the marvels is the greatest and most complete conceivable eucatastrophe which means good I love that word. Yeah, he, uh, so Tolkien coined that word, um, yes. which this, the essay explains more about, but... In our show notes, we'll write the word out. We will, yes. <laughs> but this story has entered history and the primary world. The desire and aspiration of sub-creation has been raised to the fulfillment of creation. The birth of Christ is the eucatastrophe of man's history. The resurrection is the eucatastrophe of the story of the incarnation. This story begins and ends in joy. It has the preeminently, it has preeminently the inner consistency of reality. There is no tale ever told that men would rather find was true, and none which so many skeptical men have accepted as true based on its own merits. For the art of it has the supremely convincing tone of primary art, that is, of capital C creation. To reject it leads either to sadness or to wrath. The inner consistency of reality. That is what we hope to bring, a glimmer of that to our students on Fairy Tale Friday, because deep down, if they see that in stories, there's something in them that knows you know, th that that truth is out there and will carry them and save them from, from that despair and that sadness. Absolutely. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you both yes. for sharing such wonderful wisdom with us. Thank you for, thank you for listening uh, at our latest podcast of Raising Saints and Forming Scholars. We like to highlight our very own students here at Holy Child Catholic School. If you look at our video of the students singing Salve Regina and you keep on watching until the end, you will see our students dressed up for Fairy Tale Friday. At Holy Child, we take fairy tales seriously, but that doesn't mean we don't have a lot of fun.